Hey, is everyone thawed out from the great freeze of 2024? And uh, hopefully you're not the frozen chosen today. And uh, I wonder if everyone remembered to leave the water dripping at their house. Anyone forget? Anyone forget to turn the water on and maybe you woke up to a mess? I hope not. Now, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence, but we all know why we leave the water dripping. We leave it dripping so a constant flow of water will, will come through the faucet and the water doesn't have a chance to just sit there and freeze and then our pipes burst. It's amazing to me what a little drip of water can do and how much money it can save you over time. Today I want to talk about the little drip of prayer. I want to give you a tool to help you stay constant in prayer and sustain you in prayer. You know, it's like it's an easy track, a system that you can run on. Here's why I want to do it, because I have seen a pattern even in my own spiritual life. And uh, I have seen at times in my life before where I live from one big moment to the next. Like, for example, you come to a powerful service and you encounter God and, man, it feels like you could just run through a wall or kick a door down and you feel so close to God and then you kind of don't do anything with it. And you get kind of stale spiritually. Or, or how about this? Your pipes get frozen like on a cold winter day. And what you have to have is another powerful moment to unclog the pipes again. You need another encounter, another big, uh, another big spiritual you know, explosion. And you just kind of live from moment to moment. So you go from this constant cycle of big spiritual moment, then a little bit of stagnation, then you get froze up, then you need another big moment to get you unclogged again, and on and on the cycle goes. Well, today I just want to put a tool in your hand just to help you keep that constant drip. You know, you don't need an explosive dynamite moment every time you pray. You don't. What you need is just a little constant drip that keeps the pipes clear. You know, for the past two weeks, we've been talking about Elijah, talking about bold prayers. Elijah prayed for fire. Come on, he prayed for rain. And it's been very inspirational. I hope you've been inspired to start your year off with prayer. But today is less inspirational. Today is more of just a how-to. It's more information. I want to teach you how to have a meaningful prayer time with God. It's really just a pattern, and it's a pattern that's been taught me. You know, when I pray, I often use a pattern. I use a guide to help me pray, and I use the Lord's Prayer a lot as a pattern or a guide, but today I want to teach you something called tabernacle prayer. And this is probably the pattern I use most often. I learned about it many years ago through Pastor Larry Stockstill. And it's just been something that has helped me. And oftentimes when I'm praying, I don't always use this pattern. I don't always do it every day. But this is something that helps me. And it's called the Tabernacle Prayer. If you've ever gotten into the, you, you know, if you've ever gotten inspired to pray and you get there and it's your time to pray and it feels like you can't string two sentences together, then this is for you today. This is to help you learn to pray. Uh, Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho, maybe you've never heard of him. He's in heaven now, but he pastored the largest church in the world in Seoul, South Korea. Korea. It's called Yoido Full Gospel Church. It now has over one million members, the largest church in the world. Dr. Cho prayed the tabernacle prayer three times a day. I mean, amazing man, saw amazing things. 
their church, man, they have such a prayer culture. They, they bought a whole mountain over in South Korea, uh, and they, it's called Prayer Mountain. They've got over like 200 grottos where people just go and fast and pray. And he's, he's taught his church to pray this prayer, the tabernacle prayer. It's interesting. You know, I had someone uh, that I know that went over there to, uh, and to the church, and they said that when the church prays, it's like nothing they've ever experienced before. Like a church, like, like today, it's a Sunday. The church will have a time of prayer, and, and, the, and, and it's not just one guy praying over a microphone, and everybody's just kind of listening or saying amen. But when he says, church, it's time to pray, the church just erupts in just a chorus of prayer, and it's actually so loud that they have to have a gong on the stage and they have to ring the gong to let everybody know, okay, we gotta move on to the next thing, the next uh, part of service that the prayer time is over. And, you know, so Dr. Cho, he prayed the tabernacle prayer. I learned it from Pastor Larry Stockstill, great man of God. And then also Pastor Chris Hodges, who pastors probably the largest church in America, Church of the Highlands, he prays this prayer. This is his favorite way to pray. Uh, I heard him talk about it, and, he, and he's written a book on prayer that I recommend. Why did I tell you all that? I just want you to know you're in good company when you use a pattern to pray. Some of the most holy men of God that I know pray with a pattern, and it just helps us, okay? But you don't have to be legalistic about it. You don't have to pray this way. Pray what works best for you. But this is proven in the principles work. And, and again, this is a tool. It's not a commandment. So let's, it's based off the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. 25 and verse 8. And, and you know what's interesting is that the tabernacle, a lot of people think the book of Exodus is about, uh, you know, the, the ten plagues and, and God delivering the people of, out of Egypt. And it is that. But you actually know that 40, almost 50% of the book of Exodus is about the tabernacle. It's about how God had them construct the tabernacle, a place where he could dwell within their midst and a place where they could draw near to God. So here's what God tells Moses in Exodus 25, 8. He says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings, each exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. So the children of Israel, right, they've come out of Egypt, and God now wants to be close to them. He doesn't want to just do great acts for them. He doesn't want to just deliver them. He wants to be near them. He wants to dwell among them. But in order for that to happen, there had to be a tabernacle that was constructed that he could be in the midst of them. And Moses was given a pattern, really a pattern from heaven, that he was to follow. And here's what's interesting. When you read the book of Revelation, we'll share some scriptures from Revelation. When John has the vision of Revelation, he actually describes the tabernacle in heaven, and it is a replica of what Moses builds on the earth. So God wants to be close, but see, there's a protocol for being close to God. The tabernacle was constructed, and it had different pieces of furniture, and the priests would draw near to God. They would follow a pattern step by step as they would approach God at his tabernacle. And the Bible tells us that we are now a kingdom of priests. I'm a priest. You're a priest. 
And if we want to draw near to God, I think there is a pattern that we can follow in the Old Testament of drawing near to God, and we see it in the tabernacle. Now, if you don't know anything about the tabernacle, I just, let me give you a brief overview, okay? There were three areas, just like your house has a front porch, a dining room, and a bedroom. Think of it like that way. So did God's tabernacle. It had three different areas, and each area, as you got closer, was holier and holier until you got to the Ark of the Covenant, where the very glory of God dwelt. Okay, so you can see in this picture here, there was the outer court, and this was actually outside, and then on the outer court, there was two pieces of furniture. You had the uh, burnt altar, the altar of uh, sacrifice, the altar of burnt offering, and you had the laver. Then you would go inside to what is known as the holy place. And this is also sometimes called the tent of meeting. And in there, you had the candlestick was a piece of furniture. You had the uh, table of showbread, and you had the altar of incense. And then in the third area, this was called the Holy of Holies, and this is, there was one piece of furniture in there, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests, when they would come to minister to God, they had to walk through a process. They had to go through this order. In order to draw near and get closer and closer to the Lord, they had to walk through this process. And this is, the tabernacle prayer is just walking through the process. And, 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 and it, it makes for a healthy prayer life, I believe. And so this is how I pray. I know other people pray this way. I just wanna help you. Here's a tool, all right? So the first thing when it comes to prayer, when it comes to seeking God, when it comes that we learn from the tabernacle prayer is this. They actually had to enter in to get to the outer court. They had to come through the gates of the tabernacle, the gates. This represents for us thanksgiving and praise. Psalm 100 says this, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever for all and his faithfulness to all generations. This is great. The first way, I think the best way to start out prayer is to not just run up in there and, and just say, God, here's everything I need, here's what I want, here's all my problems. God cares about your problems, he cares about your needs, but I actually think the best way to start is to start with thanksgiving and praise. It says you come into God's presence with a song in your heart. You come into his presence with thanksgiving on your lips. It doesn't say if you feel like singing, sing a song. If you feel like praising, give him praise. If you feel thankful today, give thanks. No, it's not about how you feel. Our culture is so driven by our feelings, myself included. But when we come unto God, we don't come whether we feel it or not because most days, listen, you don't feel it. Well, I, I, I prayed this morning. You think I felt like praising God at six o'clock this morning? No, my goodness. I felt like laying down, going to sleep. I felt like eating a hamburger, honestly. But <laughs> I, I, you've got to come whether you feel it or not and you start with praise in your heart and thanksgiving. Why? Because he's worthy of it. Why? My feelings, how I feel today, does not determine whether God is deserving of my praise or not. 
Because whether I feel good or not, the creator brought the sun up this morning. Whether I feel good or not, the creator put breath in my lungs this morning. Whether I feel good or not, all that I have was given to me by him and he's worthy of all that I have today. I like how the scripture says his faithfulness is endures for all generations. I like the view that the psalmist takes. He's taking the long view. He's not looking at his present moment, but he's looking at over all the generations, looking back over the eons of time. What do we see about God when we take the long view? What we see is that God is good. Now, this moment in time, it might be a hard moment for you, but that is just one speck compared to all of eternity. And I know life can be hard. It's hard. It may be hard for you right now, but just because you've experienced something that is hard, you can't say that your tiny experience determines whether or not the God of the universe is good or not and worthy of praise. God is bigger than our experiences. We are just a small part in the grand masterpiece that he is working. I know by no means want to minimize your pain if you're walking through something hard right now. No, what I want you to know is praise can be your greatest weapon. Anybody can praise God when life is amazing. Anybody can say God is good when something amazing has happened. But what about when it's hard? What about when it's you don't feel good? What about when life's not good? When life's not good, I got news for you. God is still good and he's worthy of praise. And actually, some of the greatest opportunities to give God praise is not when everything's great. You gotta be like Job. When Job lost everything, it says, he said, blessed be, God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless his name. How do I bless his name in the morning? Oftentimes, I just thank God. Just thank him. Just start thanking him. Thank him for the little things. Find five things. Write it down. God, I thank you. Man, I thank you that I woke up today. I thank you for the cup of coffee I drank this morning. I thank you, Lord, that there's breath in my lungs. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. You've been good. And if you feel like he hasn't been good to you, praise God because he's been good to someone else. I, don't, I might not be experiencing the goodness of God right now, but hey, look, so-and-so has been blessed. God, I thank you for blessing them. Just start thanking him. What does it do? It activates our spiritual life. I'm telling you, it wakes you up. That's the way to come in with thanksgiving on your lips. Number two, now when you come in the gates, the first thing you would see in the tabernacle was the brazen altar. It's basically a giant barbecue pit when you walk in. For us today, this represents the cross. You see, part of the process of drawing near to God for the priests is it started with a sacrifice. When you came into the tabernacle, there was blood involved. It was a reminder that when you draw near to God, that God is holy and you are not, and that there is sin in our lives, and that there is no forgiveness of sin without the, without the shedding of blood. Something died in order for you to draw near and be redeemed. Now for us, we know the ultimate sacrifice was Jesus. No one's coming to church this morning with a goat in their hands, praise God. Maybe a cat, but not a goat. And we're, we don't have to come and to make sacrifices today, but we are aware of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus shed his blood so we could be forgiven. And we're not just forgiven so we can have our sins washed away and have a clean slate. We're forgiven so we can draw near. We're, we're forgiven so we can be in the presence of a holy God. 
And it's only through Jesus. There is no other way that we come. We don't come on our own goodness, our own, our own merit, but we come by the blood of Jesus. And this is the cross, man, to start our day thinking about the cross. Man, one fateful Friday, Jesus was hung on a Roman cross for six hours. I think this is such an important thing to do in prayer. Jesus hung. He gave his life for six hours. When was the last time you took two minutes and just thought about the cross? When was the last time you went through the cross and just thought about the crown of thorns and the nails in his hands, his feet, his pierced side, the stripes on his back? You know, we come in prayer and we just thank God for the cross. We thank him for the blood of Jesus. You know, Psalm 103 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, the cross Think of the benefits we have today because of the cross. You know, and, so, and I'll just go through these things. Just like it says, salvation. Oh, I thank Jesus that all my sins are forgiven and I'm saved. I thank God that he heals all my diseases, that by the stripes upon his back, I can be healed. I thank God for redemption where he rescues me. He restores me. To, he, he puts me back to what my original intent and purpose was. I thank God for transformation, that he changes me into his likeness. I thank you for his blessing, that everything I need is provided. He's all that I need. I thank him for the cross today. So it's praise, then it's the cross. And then after the brazen altar, the priest would come to the laver. This represents reflection and repentance. You see, there was a bowl of water, almost like a bird bath, that and, the, and, and, the, and it was made of bronze mirrors. So the priest would look into the, 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 the laver and he would see a reflection of himself. He would see if there was any dirt, there was anything on him from the journey. And he would wash himself there in the water before he would proceed into the tabernacle. So the laver represents reflection and repentance. You know, the Bible talks about the word of God being like a mirror. We look into it and it reflects what's in our hearts. It reveals the truth to us. And we get a chance to come before God and say, God, would you wash me clean of this? God, would you do a work in my heart? This is a chance to come before the Lord and pray a bold prayer. Psalm 139, beware if you pray this prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a good time to just walk through and see Holy Spirit, would you put your finger on something in my life? What is it that needs to be washed? What is it that needs to be cleansed? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sin that you've been committing flagrantly and you know it's wrong, but you've been doing it. And it's the time to come and to repent and to be washed clean. It's also a good time, you know, to just present your body as a living sacrifice, right? Go through the members of your body. Say, I, I give you my mouth, Lord Jesus, to speak good and not evil. I give you my eyes to focus on the needs of others. I give you my ears to be sensitive to your voice today. 
I give you my hands to do good for others. I give you my feet to walk in your ways. I give you my mind to be transformed and used by you. Reflect, repent, let God wash you. Then number four, and this might be my favorite, the candlestick. When you walk, you're out. Okay, that's in the outer court. Now we're walking into the second part of the tabernacle, into the holy place. And for us, this represents the Holy Spirit. The light by which you could see in the temple was the candlestick. It was a seven-branched golden lampstand. There was always to be a supply of oil to keep the lamp burning before the throne of God. And the lampstand today represents the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, when you read the book of Revelation and John is taken into heaven and before the throne of God, it says that he sees a lampstand. Revelation 4, 5, it says, before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, the lampstand in the tabernacle actually had seven branches. You know, so, uh, so think of a, a, a seven, and you, you can see a picture of it there, a seven-branched lampstand. And Revelation calls this the seven spirits of God. Now, that's interesting. Are there seven Holy Spirits? No, there are not seven Holy Spirits. This is seven attributes of one Holy Spirit. Numerical numbers have theological significance in the book of Revelation. Seven is the number of completeness or fullness. So what is this about the seven spirits of God? The seven spirits, the golden lampstand represents the fullness of God's power. If we are going to live in this day and age, we need the fullness of God's power in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues. It's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more than that. I'm talking about the character traits of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to operate in the fullness of God. Richard Bauckham says this, the seven spirits are sent out into all the earth in Revelation to make his victory effective throughout the world. While God himself, the one who sits on the throne, dwells in heaven, not yet on earth, and while the Lamb victorious through his death on earth now shares his Father's throne in heaven, the seven spirits are the presence and power of God on the earth, bringing about God's kingdom by implementing the Lamb's victory throughout the world. We need the fullness of the power of God to implement God's victory in the world. And what's so interesting is you go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 11 2, and it talks about the seven spirits of God. Listen, and the Spirit of the Lord, there's one, shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so here's what I've been taught to do. I love to pray through those seven things. I like to talk to the Holy Spirit, welcome him in my life, say, Spirit of God, I want the fullness of your power today. And I pray through those seven things. I pray for the spirit of the Lord which is intimacy, a closeness with Jesus. I pray for a spirit of wisdom, which is to have order in my life, that my life would be in order, my home would be in order. I pray that the spirit of order would come and set my life in order. I pray for a spirit of understanding, which is clarity, God. Clarity about situations I'm in. Lord, give me clarity on your will today. A spirit of counsel, Lord, as I'm making decisions, Lord, give me good 
decision-making abilities, a spirit of might. Lord, I want authority in the kingdom of God. I want to be bold. God, give me courage and might to be bold. Holy Spirit, give me uh, uh, the spirit of knowledge, which is a faith. Lord, let me grow in my knowledge of what Jesus has done for me and that I'm free and delivered and all that God has for me, a spirit of the fear of the Lord, which is the integrity. I pray through these things. I ask the Holy Spirit to give me these things. It's such a great practice, the Holy Spirit. Now, after that is the table of showbread, the fifth thing, the table of showbread. This represents the word of God. The Lord instructed the priests that there was to be fresh baked bread every single day and put on the altar or the table of showbread. And, you know, if you're, if you're participating in the 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's tough not to think about hot bread right now. I tell you, a, a, a hot bread with some honey butter from Texas Roadhouse, my goodness, I could use some of that right now. That, imagine that, though, just fresh baked bread every time you came into God's tabernacle. I was talking with someone this week and they were telling me how like this is a new hobby of theirs. Like they, they're starting to make bread from scratch. They love it. It's kind of therapeutic for them. And the whole process, they're telling me the whole process of making bread. And it, you know, it takes time. It takes time to make bread. I never realized I just go pick it up from the store. It's already, you know, sliced. And now I get the whole comment. Uh, that's the best thing since sliced bread. But, you know, if you have to make your own bread, it takes time. And the thing about the bread we make, fresh bread without all the preservatives, is it doesn't last long. Fresh bread made from scratch without all the preservatives will go bad just after a few days. And this represents sustaining ourselves in the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be fresh in our hearts. I don't want to live off of yesterday's Word. I need a Word for today, something to nourish my soul. It is our nourishment. Remember when the children were in the wilderness, God fed them supernaturally with bread from heaven. They had to get up each morning before the sun came up and it dried out and they had to collect the manna. Then they had to make it and bake it and cook it and, and it was good for that day, but it expired at midnight and fresh manna would be available the next morning. And this is what Deuteronomy 8, 3 says about the manna. It says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, the word of God is manna for your soul. It's fresh every morning. God's word is an incredible gift, a powerful tool. It, and, and, and nothing will affect your prayer life more, I believe, then the word of God, bring it into your prayer time. This is a good time. Sometimes, this is, sometimes, sometimes I'll read the Bible before I pray, but when I do the tabernacle prayer, this will be the time when I do my, my daily one-year reading. You know, I've been speaking to God for the first four stations, but now on this fifth station, I'm gonna let God speak to me. I'm gonna hear from his word. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna think about it. Maybe you see a promise in there today. Maybe you see a promise in there as you read your Bible today. Well, this is a good time to not just read it, but then to take it and say, God, this is what your word says. I'm claiming this promise in my life today. Ask him for fresh revelation. Ask him for a word to help you throughout the day. Ask him to help you apply the word in the world around you. Number six, after the bread, then comes the altar of incense. 
And for, for me, for us, we're gonna let this represent worship today. A small altar of burning incense stood at the entrance of the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled. It was a sweet smelling aroma that filled the tabernacle 24 seven. And the altar, Revelation tells us, it represents the prayers and the worship of the saints. And it would give God great pleasure. The altar of incense would. Just imagine how good the inner court smelled. Fresh break bread and, and, and 24 hours a day, sweet smelling incense that fills that room. Psalm 142 says, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. Revelation tells us that our prayers are taken by the angels, mixed with incense in golden bowls and presented as a fragrant offering unto the Lord. And you know, I tend to believe that the highest form of prayer is actually worship, where we from our heart bring God that the honor he's due. In fact, St. Augustine was quoted as saying, he who sings prays twice. You see, when you, when you read the book of Revelation and you get to the throne room of God, Revelation 4 and 5, you know what's interesting about the throne room of God? And, and, and the, the, John describes all the things that are going, he describes the beautiful sights, he describes the beautiful colors, he describes the lamb upon the throne and the ancient of days who sits upon the throne. And, but you want to know what the number one description of, of what Revelation 4 or 5 is all about? Worship. The closer you get to God, what happens? The closer you get to him, the more you're going to worship him, the more you're going to bow down before him. Worship is what is taking place in the throne room of God. In fact, there are five different songs that are sung. And all the songs are about who God is. This is so important. This is such a great time. I'm going to take time and not sing about me or who I am, but I'm going to sing about God and give him the worth that he is due. It's about his worth. The first song in Revelation is about he's holy. That's a good song to sing. Holy, holy, holy. The second song is about how he's worthy to receive honor and power and, and, and wisdom because he's the creator of all things. Then the third song is about Jesus and about how he's worthy because he brings about the plans of God and the earth and he redeemed us and made us a kingdom of priests with his blood. Song four is about Jesus as the lamb who is slain for us and worthy is the lamb. And then song five, the, the angels and the saints and all the elders and it says that every creature in earth, below the earth, in the sea, they all sing worship unto the one on the throne and the lamb. All eyes are focused on him. Worship is where we get all of our eyes and we focus on him and who he is. It's a good time to go over the names of God, right? Sometimes I do this. I'll go over those names, Jehovah Nisi, my victory, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals me, Jehovah Shalom, my peace. I mean, it's a good time just to worship him for who he is. And then you get to the last part, the Ark of the Covenant, when you go into the Holy of Holies, and this is intercession. The final place in the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled. There the priest interceded on behalf of the people before God. The priest actually wore a special breastplate as he would enter in the Holy of Holies. And there were 12 beautiful stones engraved on the breastplate. And each stone represented the 12 tribes of Israel. 
In Exodus 28, 29, it says, in this way, Aaron will carry the names. I love that. You're carrying the names of the tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece over his heart when he goes into the holy place. And this will be a continual reminder that he represents the people. He comes before the Lord. The high priest was to enter the presence of God as the nation's representative, almost like a a lawyer that stands before a judge on behalf of someone else. He's ever mindful of the nation's interests. He's ever bringing it before remembrance. He's carrying the people into the presence of God. You see, the ark represents being face to face with God. Now imagine if you had a chance to be face to face with someone in high places. Maybe you had a chance to have an audience with the president. Would you go there just to shoot the breeze and to say what's up? No, you would realize that you have an audience that you're in the presence of someone who has more power than you to get something done. What would you do? You would talk to them about what was on your heart. Maybe you would plead on behalf of someone. Mr. President, I have a friend who's been falsely accused and in prison for a crime they've committed, but you can pardon them. Mr. President, there's a certain part of the city where I live that needs help. They need better schools for the children. Could you send some funds their way? You would speak to him on behalf on behalf of the issues that you see that he could put his weight and power of his office behind because he could change some things. This is what we do. We come face to face with God. What do we do? We bring before him. We carry before him the people. We carry before him the needs of others and we lay them down at his feet and say, God, you have the power to do this. God, you have the power to change this situation. You have the power to change this person. You have the power to bring breakthrough. And so we're here today to plead on behalf of others, Lord Jesus, to see them saved or comforted or healed or provided. We are in the very presence of God, the creator of all the universe. And this is the pattern that I believe you can use this. You can take this tool and you can use it. And God will use it to keep the drip. Hey, sometimes we have big explosive moments, but listen, it's our responsibility to keep the flow of prayer. And sometimes we need a pattern. Sometimes we need something to help us. And this is what this is today. Right where you're at, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are standing in your presence. We are here today. We plead on behalf, Lord, of our children, of the city, of situations we're aware about. We bring them to you because you have the power to change these things. We come as intercessors, Lord. Teach us to pray, just like you taught your disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray, to be people of prayer, God, to keep the drip going so the pipes don't freeze up. And Lord, I believe over time, we're going to see you accomplish great and mighty things. What an honor just to be near you, to draw near. You wanna be close to us, but we wanna be close to you. Help us to take the tools you've given us, God, and to further the kingdom of of heaven. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Church, thank you so much for being here today on Virtual Church. I just wanna remind you, we have, this is the last week of prayer, all right, 6 a.m., and, and, and 12 p.m. noon. And I want you to come, come in the prayer room, experience the presence of God. It's been great. We'll see you there.